on a sacred trust. It is the beginning of the year, and as we heard in the prophecies, we need to turn completely to the Lord for this year. Wouldn't you agree? Sometime about halfway through the year, we figure we're, we're, we're managing our lives okay. We need to remember that he is the one in authority over us at all times. And so what I want to instruct you on this morning is, is our stewardship, is our giving. It's the beginning of the year, and I do this uh, in relation to the scriptures that we are to establish in our hearts how we're to steward out our year. You did this, some of you, by making um, the resolutions for the new year. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You set your heart towards a goal. And uh, we're to do that with all aspects of our lives. And one of those is our stewardship. And one of it is our finances. And Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and money. You're going to love one or hate the other. You're going to serve one or serve another. And he said, you can't serve money and me. And what, God is, what Jesus was talking about is money is the world system we live in. How many of you know that? It's the economy. You can't live without money, right? And uh, so money makes the world go round, as the saying says. Um, and so we can easily get caught in the current of the world's demands to sustain our well-being in our life. And that's just natural and that's normal. It's been that way from the beginning of time. But God would say, if you would rely on me instead of your pursuit of finance. Now, we all have to pursue finance. We have to. We all have to pursue a way of living and taking care of our lives. There's nothing evil about money. It's the love of money that gets to us. And it's the pursuit of it. So if we would put money under the authority of God, then things would flow and steward properly in our lives. And one of the ways that we do that is we offer money on the altar. Or, and what is an altar for? What do you slay on the altar? Sin, the sacrifice. And the sacrifice holds the sin. Right? The reason they put a lamb on the altar and you laid hands on it is because you put the sin on the altar and God dominated it. All right? And so that's the altar. So if we put money on the altar before God, God dominates the money. And God dominates our finance and our economy instead of our need dominating it. Does that make sense to you? So what we want to learn this morning is how to have a sacred trust with the Lord. And so we need to understand a balance because as one person put it, money has never changed anyone. It only magnifies who they are. Money's a magnifying glass. I don't know about you, but I dream about having a lot of money now and then. I, 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 I'll admit it readily. It's a pastime I have. Boy, if I had some more cash, I would love to have this. I would love to have that. And if, if you're looking at me going like, I've never put it on the altar. Sure, what you could do with another $1,000, right? 
what you could do with another 10,000. How many of you would love to pay your house off? Some of you are saying, I already did. Well, God bless you. You know, we all have to struggle with that, but what we find out is that it really magnifies or amplifies your desires. How many of you have also prayed this prayer, Lord, if I won the lottery, I would serve you in greater ways than ever before? Right? Yeah, we we bump into those thoughts every now and then. But it's true. But what would happen if God would bless those who had a heart for him? We see it over and over in Scripture. Do you know Abraham was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived? David, Solomon, got him in trouble, didn't it? It it messed him up. It magnified some issues in him, right? And so Job, one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. These were righteous men of God, but what they were able to do with their finance was bring it under the authority and jurisdiction of the Lord, and that's what we need to do. Now, we need to get this in balance because there's a lot of goofy things concerning money and Christianity. And so I've taught a number of times in a number of different series on finances, stewardship, tithing, and so forth. Uh, what I want to get past today is just entering into this issue of a sacred trust. So I just want to quickly go over some of the views. Some have a works-based understanding of money. We're responsible to steward what we have. God, God gives you the finance, and he's asking you to learn how to steward your life. It's not just money, is it? How to steward food, how to steward your time, how to steward your talent and abilities. God is teaching us how to steward our lives and bring things all under his authority. And there are teachings in the church that basically one is works-oriented, that, that uh, you owe God. You've got to pay God back for what he did for you. He died on a tree, so you better put your money in the offering plate and pay it back. Can I tell you, you can never pay God back for what he did for us. And that's a horrible thought. And sometimes tithing offends the cross. How do I mean? Because some of us think that all the benefits we get back from God in our finances is because we gave money. And can I tell you, anything you get from God is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It is His blood and His blood alone that blesses us with all the riches of glory. So you know what, if you put an extra uh, couple hundred bucks to give to God, we have a mentality that we're going to get an extra blessing. Could I encourage you, just keep living for Jesus and magnifying Him, and all the blessings are yours. But we do need to be faithful. Now some of that works-based teaching says this, if you don't give the proper amount, God will curse you. And again, a works-based mentality. Well, I didn't hit the tithe, the 10%, so now I'm going to get into a car accident or I'm going to have trouble or God's going to be against me, which is really a wrong teaching theologically because you're the body of Christ. He's the head, you're the body. So God would have to curse his own body, his own son. And so again, a wrong teaching. Yes, we're to be faithful in our stewardship, but let's at least get the, the, the heart behind it right. Then there's the hyper-grace mentality that I don't have to do anything. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm not responsible for anything. I'll give you a buck or two now and then, but the money's mine and I'm going to live it out because I'm saved and I'm going to heaven no matter what. And God doesn't want us to work like this. This is a relationship. We're in covenant with him. He wants us to steward unto him and him to steward through us. 
So if you have a mentality that I don't have to do anything, you're really going to be in surprise when you have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is not based on your salvation, but based on what you did with what God gave you. So there's a responsibility here in stewarding what we have. Another idea is the prosperity idea. I call it Christian gambling. It's giving to get. It's the Christian lottery. I'm going to give so God owes back to me. Right? Press down, shaking together, overflowing in my lap. Woo! I've been tithing since I was 17. I should be a millionaire by now if it was going to all come back by money. God's blessings are greater than finance. How many of you know that? What he wants to press down, shake together, and overflow in, in you is the very nature of who he is. What the world needs more of is not rich Christians, but Christians who are rich in the fruit of his spirit. That's what we need more of. And so we've got to be careful. Does God want us to prosper? Absolutely. Any living thing should prosper. Any living thing should be fruitful. So yes, of course, but always in mind to what God wants to prosper in you. And then there's the other point of view. I didn't realize I had slides for these. There you go. Spent all morning putting them together, and I was the last one ignorant of it. Ignorance. Many of us are just ignorant in how my money relates to God. I don't know what he wants from me. I'll give him the offering, but I still have to function and work out my money the way I feel I need to. And so this works-based hyper-grace prosperity and ignorance flows in the church, and many of us have these different teachings and ideas in us. You can hear every one of those on the radio or on TV or in a podcast. But We've got to get back to the heart of what our stewardship is. And what I want to share with you this morning, the key to all of this is that it's a sacred trust. It's a sacred trust. What do I mean by that? It's entering into a sacred union with God where both parties are responsible for each other's well-being. That's a sacred trust. I'm responsible to the testimony of God's well-being through the people who know me. That when you look at me, you see I serve a good God. I'm responsible unto the Lord and how I live. He wants to be responsible to pour into my life the blessings that he knows I will properly steward. It's a sacred trust and a covenant together that everything I have belongs to him. Know ye not that you were bought with a price? You're no longer your own. So should I give 10%? Should I give 4%? Should I give 20%? You're supposed to give 100%. The New Testament concept of giving is you don't even belong to you. So everything that comes to you is his. And it's a sacred trust to know what God wants to do is steward a good life through you so that you're responsible for your own well-being and the well-being of others because you're in a sacred trust with him. And one of those sacred trusts is how you steward finance. Does that make sense to anybody here? And it's then a wonderful, wonderful adventure. Let me give you some examples A simple sacred trust I have is by entering into a pledge with God. God, I'm going to do this thing. Real simple. I sign up because on the back wall over there, there's a sign-up sheet to help with... uh, What's that? Bagels. Bagels. (laughs) Larry's hungry. (laughs) 
No, great example. Okay, we have bagel, we need bagel help, right? So you sign your name on the sheet and, and you've entered into a sacred trust with God that you said, I'm going to help this thing out. Now, what are you going to do with that? It becomes a sacred trust. Now, they assigned you to the week of this week and that week. And now that should become sacred to you. It's something you pledged and honored. Come on, pastor, it's only bagels. No, it's a sacred trust. Your word, let your yes be yes, your no be no. I mean, doesn't money break down into pennies and cents? So does everything else, whether it's saving a soul or putting cream cheese out. It's not the, 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 the magnitude of the thing. It's the same with how much money we have. We have a variety of incomes in here. I'm not preaching to one set of income. It doesn't matter the size of your income. It's the stewardship. It's the trust you have. So if I signed up for the first month to serve bagels, I have a sacred trust so that when someone calls me up and said, hey, could you come with me on this day over here? You know, I've made an agreement unto God that I'm going to serve bagels. Bagels, they can get anybody to serve bagels. That doesn't matter. I said I would. Does that make sense? It makes sense, doesn't it? And God is calling us to do this. And many of us today in our society, we say, yeah, we'll do something, or I'll think about it, which, come on, it means no. Who are you kidding? It's the polite way to say no. Let me consider that. Everybody knows that's no. It's a lot easier to work with you if you'd say, nah, I just don't want to. What's wrong with that? What do you mean you don't want to? I'm too busy. I don't want to. Okay. I can work with that. But don't sign up and don't show up. And this kind of a thing, we're entering into sacred trusts. Another one is a fast. There's a power released when things happen like this. How many of you ever fasted? Anybody? Right? You set something aside. Now, there's, it's important when you feel called to something. God's asking you to enter into agreement. And so when God calls you to a fast, you know God called you to it. And so you begin the fast. Let's say you're going to start a a three-day fast. And you have this three-day fast because you know God said, I need you to seek me for these three days. You set them aside and it becomes something sacred. All of a sudden, not eating becomes a holy event. It elevates. Why? Just like signing up for bagels elevates because you made a sacred trust. When you go into a three-day fast, not eating is elevated to a place where I will uphold this to the honor of my God. And so you go out with everybody else and everybody says, well, well, how come you don't have your cheeseburger? It's like, well, no, I'm fasting. Oh, come on. Have a cheeseburger. Get a slider. They're small. No, I've entered into a sacred trust. You know what? And I can avoid eating because now what dominates me is not my hunger for food, but my hunger for God. Jesus said the same thing when he said, my meat is to do the Father's will. My, my purpose. You see, the, the disciples, when they went to Samaria, went to get some food. Jesus knew he had to go to the well. And when he went to the well, he spoke to the woman in Samaria to bring her to Christ and eventually to bring Samaria into revival, if you read the whole story, because she began to speak of a great revival. The disciples came back and said, hey, we got some lamb, we got some lamb chops and food, you want to eat? And he goes, no, my meat is to do the Father's will. Because a sacred trust, God had spoken to his son and said, go to the well. And so greater than the food was the will of the Father. 
and entering a sacred trust. Now, I've had this experience as well. There was a season just a couple uh, years ago where God asked me to, to forego um, a, a large financial uh, sum in, in my income. And, uh, and I said, are you sure? This doesn't seem right. It seems quite contrary to my needs. But I felt this from the Lord. And an opportunity came where someone said, yeah, you don't need to do that. And because I had made a sacred trust to trust Him, He was calling me into something that was beyond just uh, economics. And as I entered into it, uh, someone said, no, you don't have to do it. Let's cancel that. And I said, uh-uh, no. This has become something sacred. And you know what? In that year... The supply that God gave me made up more than what I gave up. And He met my needs. Because I was obligated to Him, and He became obligated to me in a sacred trust. And this is what we do at the beginning of each year as believers. We enter into a sacred trust. And what God wants you to do when you enter into that is look at three things. To steward, to sustain, and to support. And so we enter the sacred trust and decide what we're going to give in our yearly giving to the Lord. I don't know if you can see that. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8. It talks about sowing and reaping. You sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You sow greatly, and you'll reap greatly. And then he goes on, he says this, each one must give as he decided in his heart. And that's where you enter into the sacred trust. He said it's not under compulsion. And don't give reluctantly. You see, this is New Testament giving. In the Old Testament, there was the law that decreed the percentages of what you were to give according to your flock or your crops, according to the festival taxes or according to the poor. And those were demanded by law to be given. In the New Testament, those laws are fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and now our giving is based on who possesses you, Jesus Christ. And now all giving is by faith in Him. He wants to stay active in your decisions. It's not according to a written rule, it's according to a living God. He lives in you. And now, the percentage you give... The amount you give is according to the unction that God is speaking to you to challenge your faith and to build up who you are. It's an exciting adventure that becomes a sacred trust. And so he says, you decide in your heart. In other words, you and God make an understanding. 10% makes sense because 10 represents the whole. That's where it came from. Great number to shoot from. Okay, but some of you on fixed income, some of you might be uh, struggling with that and can't get your finance in place. You need to work towards getting your finance in place. So begin to settle something in your heart with God that he speaks to you that's going to be an act of faith. The reason it's an act of faith, because it's beyond your abilities. If you do everything according to your abilities, you're really not walking in faith. You're walking, and then what is lording over you? The money. So always give by faith. And those of you that have been 10 percenters, bless you. But if you've been staying at 10% and not by giving by faith, your faith is no longer faith. 
you've now entered into your own stewarding and money now rules. Do you get it? So it's always an act of faith that you're to give. And so, he says this, decide in your heart. I think that's beautiful. Not under compulsion. I mean, Peter put it perfectly in Acts chapter... Yeah. Where he's talking to Ananias and Sapphira. That's about five or six. Okay? And in Acts five or six, locally around there, do you remember they lied about the money they were giving? They withheld money. And Peter says, no one told you to give this. The money was yours. And this is the same principle. Look at all that you make, the money's yours. It's yours. God's saying, let's make a decision working on your faith as to what you should give. Let me enter into your economy. What you make is yours. Now, let's see how you can steward it. And if you will steward it properly, put it on the altar. And let me have the first fruits. You decide in your heart, by faith, what that will be. Let's have a meeting together. And God will speak to your heart. He may challenge you. But if you enter into that challenge, you begin to make a sacred trust where you're going to begin seeing God in every penny. That's exciting. How many of you want God under authority of every penny? That's a dime. I got a dime. How about under every dime? I got dimes and pennies. Isn't that cool? When you think about it, We think about it once a week when we give the offering. But what if we enter into a sacred trust and we say, God, as to the best of my ability and to your uh, sustaining power in my life, I am setting this as what I'm going to give weekly and I'm going to be faithful to it because I'm entering into that. Right? Now, don't do it under compulsion. No one's, it's your money. No one's making you compulsion. And let's not get into bad theology. God's not going to, you know, have a lightning bolt hit you because you missed it that week. No, do the best as you can do. Work with God in everything. Not under compulsion, but also not reluctantly. Because the reluctancy means you're holding on to something from God. And so let's work at that stewarding of it. And when we do, we will see that we can be a cheerful giver. That's the next statement. The Greek word is hilaros. God loves, God agapes, That word agape is self-sacrificing love. Put it together. An agape, a sacrificing love, loves a hilarious giver. Does that make sense? Because the very love that he loves with is self-sacrificing. Did God sacrifice for you? Well, yeah. So what if we put sacrifice in all that we give to him? You're not excited about that. But you know it's true. And so if we begin a sacred trust so that we give cheerfully. Here's the reason you give cheerfully. Oh my gosh, Lord. Ever since I entered into this, it's working! And I I have what I need to sustain my family and to steward my home and to meet my finances. Because I'm putting you first in my first fruits and I'm walking in this. 
This week, I'm a little short, Lord. Let's work this out. God, would you help me? And would you be surprised that he will? And then you can work it out and work it and, justi- and, and justify and work it. But you've entered into an agreement where you're serving him and he's serving you in an agreement together of a sacred stewardship. God loves that when you give cheerfully because you're giving with the sense that God's in this thing. How many of you want to be able to, and I'm saying this seriously, this isn't a churchy question, but I'm really seriously saying, how many of you would love to be able to give every Sunday cheerfully? Like, I can make this. This is working. This is working. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to sustain a stewardship in your life. Why? God wants you to be a testimony. If you can't meet what he has said in your heart to give, it means something's out of whack and therefore you've got to adjust the stewardship of your home. You've got to look at what you're spending money on. Because God wants us, whether we make a lot or a little, to steward our homes well. I will never forget an experience I had in South Africa going into the squatters' camps. Squatter camps are those areas of land in Africa of those who came in outside of South Africa because their governments are so oppressive and so horrible. As they come into South Africa, they come into a piece of land, they find cardboard, they find metal, they find whatever they can, and they put a house there. And they're squatters. And I'll never forget ministering in squatter camps, coming up to a little five-by-seven shack that's built with a couple lean-to pieces of metal and a roof with rocks on it to keep the roof the, the, the roof on. And when I approached in the morning and I saw the lady of the house, two or three kids there, and she had a branch in her hand. And as she was out in the dirt, she was making designs in the dirt in front of her house to make it clean. And she had taken rocks that she had found and she made a nice design stone path. She had a palace. It's all she had. She had no money, but what was she doing? She was stewarding the economy she had to make it beautiful. Wow. How many of us have stuff that we don't even care for? How many of you have stuff, if you went through it, would add up to a pretty amount of money that, that you don't even use anymore? Really, folks. So God wants to be in the stewarding. And it's not so that we can have bigger and better buildings. It's so that we can beautify the earth with the grace of God and more souls would be saved. God wants your household to look good and to be good. He wants you to be a testimony of His faithfulness in your lives. That's your responsibility to steward it and to steward your finances well. He goes on and he says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's the second point of sustaining you. What really sustains us? Our money? We can have money and be ill and sick. We can have money and have nothing but torturous relationships with people who hate us. How many of you know money is not the solution to everything? Look at how many rich people are in bad ways. I mean, all you have to do is look at the tabloids, right? 
Come on. Do you understand that we're entertained by the rich in this country? Do you understand this is our entertainment? It's sick. Some of you are going to go home and watch football today. Is there football on today? Okay. Some of you are going to go home and watch football or golf or basketball or something. Basically, sport has become millionaires playing on a field. And we're all entertained by watching millionaires play games. Right? And if not that, we're going to go to the movies or watch a TV show or listen to some music. Basically, millionaires entertaining us. Isn't it interesting? That we're all entertained by rich people. And all you have to do is look at their lives. And yet, all of our young people want to attain that kind of goal. There's a richness on this planet that is greater than silver and gold. Peter and John said, hey man, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, you need to let me give it to you. That's what God wants to sustain in you. The sustaining is the grace of God. The grace of God is abounding unto you no matter what your financial situation is. Whether you have a lot or have little, grace abounds to you. Why? Because of the work effort you put in? No, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and God's goodness to us. God is good. Can you say amen to that? God is good to us. And in that goodness, he wants you to sustain what he's given you. Sustain it like that woman I told you in South Africa. As she is cleaning the dirt and making designs in the dirt, she beautified what was a tin shack. Because the grace of God, she sustained that to look beautiful before her Lord and before others. So you may not have much, but can you sustain it by the grace of God? And that's what God wants, a people who sustain his grace. So when people look at you, look at, when we were singing Yahweh, we were singing this worship, it struck me so strong that we want God to get us out of every situation. How many of you know God needs some people to go through it so that you'll be a witness to everybody else going through it? And so as we're going through, we're that pillar of truth and testimony that grace sustains me. Right? Other people get fired. You got fired too. Where's your God now? I'll show you. Watch. Grace will sustain me through being fired. And he'll take care of me. I'll find another job. You see what I'm saying? Grace sustains us. So don't ever think that it's money that is the, what is your evidence of blessing. Right? So we are sustained by the sufficiency of of his grace that it may abound and here's the last part in every good work so we enter into a sacred trust to set in our hearts what we're going to financially give this year because god wants to challenge our faith to raise us and be involved in every penny we have in our pocket so that we are now in trust with him to give and put him first in our finance and he will sustain us by his grace for what we need. Sometimes that sustaining is not more money but better relationships. Maybe not more money but a better position and a better job. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and so that grace is sustaining so finally and ultimately we can support the needs of others. This is the gospel, and this has gotten lost in many uh, churches, 
But God has blessed you so that you will be a blessing. Wasn't that the blessing originally to Abraham? I will make your name great. He entered into sacred trust. Those who bless you, I will bless. And you will be a blessing to many. And so God wants us to do that. And He says this, It is more blessed to give than receive. Ephesians 4.28, He says, Do honest work with your own hands so that you'll have something to share with anyone in need. And so this is what God wants to do with our economy. He wants us to steward it into the kingdom first. Secondly, sustain it in your own life and how you handle it. Thirdly, in such a way so that you will in fact have finance to give. This is kingdom principle in stewardship and giving. And all of this becomes a sacred trust. It's God in it. And when God is in it, it becomes hilarious or cheerful. Agape loves cheerful giver, right? God loves that self-sacrificing love, a cheerful giver. A hilaros, the Greek word, a hilarious, a cheerful, a happy, a pleased giver. Now, there are going to be challenges to you because someone's standing next to you while you're in line for your tropical smoothie. You got to get the seaweed tropicals booster shot. That thing's seven bucks, baby. You want that tropical Z. And as you're walking to the store, someone walks up to you and says, man, I am really in bad way. Could you please spare some finance for me? You would say in the most holy, reverent way, get a job. <laughs> and, and, and Hebrews says, you be careful because you might be entertaining angels unaware. And Jesus said, when you did the least of these, you've done it unto me. You need to reconsider what you're saying to people. Should I get my tropical seaweed smoothie? Or should I bless someone in Jesus' name? You got a card in your back pocket. Give them the cash and go get your smoothie with the card. Oh, someone will be offended. You don't do cards. All right, you know, just deal with it. But however you handle your economy... We've had this happen a number of times to us, my wife and I, and what we'll do is we'll bring them in and say, let's get what you want to order. Would you like to sit with us, or do you want to sit by yourself? They're blown away, and sometimes they sit with us, and guess what we get to talk about? Come on. Come on. They can't believe they met someone who cared not only to give them two quarters, but in fact buy them a meal and have them sit with them. See, it went past meeting the need, now it means honoring the need and them as a person. And so this is the sacred trust. Now God's in every penny. God's in every decision. And this is what God wants us to do. And so I close with this this morning. We're going to pray. And I want you to consider this. We've been doing this every year. As 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 say, decide in your heart what you want to give to God. It's by faith. It's not under compulsion. You're not being demanded. God's not going to curse you if you don't. But you give by faith in your heart, agreed with God, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, but cheerfully. God, enter into my economy. I'm going to enter a sacred trust. And this is what I'm determining to give this year so that I could sustain my giving to you 
or steward my giving to you, I could sustain my household and I'll have enough to support others. Does that sound right? That sounds God to me. That is a, that, then God's got a, a good witness in this world. Let's bow our hands.